Um, it's a real honor to be able to be here today. It's a blessing to me, and I'm very grateful to be able to preach to you uh, God's Word, and I'm grateful to Pastor Yoda for giving me the opportunity. Um, I'll be upfront with you. This is for an assignment, and but I do not want to do it just for the grade. I'm very grateful, and I'm humbled by the opportunity to be able to preach, and uh, Hopefully I get a great, good grade on it by Pastor Yoda. He'll be taking notes on it, and hopefully. But um, I'm very grateful to be able to do it, and hopefully it's a blessing to you. And that, because um, I believe that this passage, it goes right hand in hand with uh, what uh, Pastor Yoda was talking about this morning, about having faith in the storms of life. And I'm going to give you a specific storm in the life of one king of Judah, and how God helped him through that storm. Myself, um, name's Tanner Toops. I'm from uh, Glen Yoda's Church in uh, Cahoka, Missouri, and it's Bible Baptist Church. I'm in Bible Baptist Church, and I actually interned in Bible Baptist Church in uh, Puyallup, Washington this summer, so a whole lot of them out there, and I'm grateful to be here. If you would, Second Chronicles chapter 20, Second Chronicles chapter 20. This passage, um, I, I had something planned. I had um, this uh, presentation that I was going to give, and I was going to have slides and all that, and going to show it up on the projector up here. But uh, as some of you know, the projector is no longer uh, in functioning service. So I, I still got a sermon that I'm going to preach, even without pictures. So you might be less entertained. But <laughs> so. Second Chronicles chapter 20, let's get right into it um, before I read. Um, but the Bible repeats itself when it says, God is not a respecter of persons. Rich or poor, mighty or weak, talented or simple, as the Lord told Samuel, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for he looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. God is not concerned with who you are, but how you respond to who he is. Some may say, if God does not care who you are in the eyes of the world, how do you explain that fact, that the fact that he seems to treat some differently than others? Have you not read the passages about Moses where he says that he was friends with God? Or how the Bible measures the success of every single Judean king by the standard of King David? Would that not suggest God's favor on an individual? I would apply to you with God's commentary on the life of David. He said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. That's found in Acts 13.22. God did not establish David's kingdom because he was a great fan of David's. God established David, and will establish anyone for that matter, because David was aligned with God's plan. As the famous Abraham Lincoln quote goes, no nobler reply ever fell from the lips of a ruler than that uttered by President Lincoln in response to the clergyman, who ventured to say in his presence that he hoped that the Lord was on our side. I'm not at all concerned about that, replied Mr. Lincoln, for I know that the Lord is always on the side of the right, but it is my constant anxiety and prayer that I and this nation should be on the Lord's side. When it comes to God, he has prescribed in his word the way that we can be on his side. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's found in Hebrews. Today, I want to pose a question, and I want you to think about this question as we read this passage in a second. Why did God fight for Judah? Why did God fight for Judah? And I want to ask you that, and through the preaching, I hope to answer that question and show what that means for us today in the 21st century, and how we can apply it to our own lives. So if you would stand um, in honor of God's word, and we'll read Second Chronicles 20 through verses, uh, well, I'll know when then, so we'll stop then. But um, I was reading through Ezra the other day, and 
reading about how he had the people stand whenever they read God's word. I'm like, man, they do it at Heartland, so I figure I might as well do it here. So if you're able to stand, stand with me. Verse 1 in chapter 20. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them other besides the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim the fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst divide our, drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham for thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary then, therein, for thy name, saying, If when evil cometh upon us as the sore judgment or pestilence or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house." And cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us, to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? And catch this. For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Now, that's a magnificent statement right there, and I'll get to that in a second, why that's so significant there, why he's saying that. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and this opportunity to preach. I pray that you would allow me to preach your word, fill me with your spirit, and let me say the words that you would have me to say and communicate the message of this passage, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I appreciate y'all standing for the reading of God's Word. And this passage right here, it's, it's a fantastic passage illustrating God's, uh, God's faithfulness in the time of trial. I was... I told you earlier that I was in Washington this summer, and in Washington, we were able to go on a couple of hikes. Um, it was the last week, and we're thinking, okay, um, on the west side of the mountains, if you're sit in basically any side of the west side of the mountains in Washington State, you look up and you see Mount Rainier. It's beautiful, it's spectacular, and it's the tallest mountain in the southern, the lower 48 states. And you just look up and see your view every morning. It was our view every morning on the drive to church. It was, it was incredible. And so we're thinking, okay, we can either go to Mount Rainier, which is a little closer. We can go down to uh, Mount St. Helens, and we can see that, where the volcano blew up and all that kind of thing. And we're thinking about going down there, and we're like, okay, we'll go down St. Mount St. Helens. And I went with the other intern. His name was Chase. And Chase and I went to the mountain, and I had lined up a hike. I lined up a hike to go up one of the mountains nearby on one of the peaks and get a good view of it. And we found out real quick that whenever all trails, the app I have on my phone that kind of shows what uh, trails are in the area, if it says expert, you should probably listen to them. So I took Chase on this hike, and I have a picture of it on my phone, and I had it on the presentation, but it's, it goes like this. The, it shows the elevation on this app, and it goes like this, and then goes back down, because it's a four and a half mile out and back, so it's about eight miles total. And <laughs> it was 2,500 feet of elevation change. 
it was a 5,000 foot mountain. So we're climbing half the mountain in one day, and we're supposed to get back by uh, uh, dark. And we're going up this mountain, and he was struggling the first half, and then I left him behind at about mile three, um, because he would go and he'd be like, okay, just, I don't want to go on. I'd say, come on, man, just make it to mile one. And he said, no, I, I can't do it. Then he'd walk a little bit further, and he's like, no, give me the keys. I'm going back to the truck. And I'd say, no, we got to go. We got to go. And I eventually got on the mile three. It took a lot of work to do that. And when we get to mile three, I just kind of left him because I didn't think he would want to finish it out with me. So I leave him behind, and I'm hiking the rest of the way up. And the thing about this, Washington, um, if you know anything about it, Seattle is called like the rainy city. It's supposed to be very rainy out there and overcast and that kind of thing. That summer, it rained twice. The second day we were there and the day we climbed the mountain. <laughs> we get on the mountain and I couldn't see a thing. It was foggy everywhere. We're climbing through clouds and it was really cool. I got some cool videos of the clouds coming in and we're climbing up this mountain and I leave him behind and I'm all alone. I'm climbing up this mountain and just nothing. All I can see is it's uphill as far as the eye can see, which was about 20 feet. And I'm going up, and I'm like, man, this is so tiring. If you've ever done an altitude hike, if you're uh, 4,000 feet in the air, it's getting hard to breathe. And if you're going like this on an incline, it's even harder to breathe. And for some of my physical capability, it makes it much harder to breathe. And I'm going, I'm going, and I'm just like, man, Lord, I, I can't do this. I'm going to turn around and go say hi to Chase. I think he needs some company back there. And I just kept pressing forward. I'm like, okay, I can make it to that log. I can make it to that log. So I walk up, I get to the log. I sit down for five minutes. I'm like... I can get to the ne that next log. I can get to that rock. And I keep pressing forward, and I get to the um, near the top, and I'm like, I cannot go any further. I see it going even steeper than what it had been before. I'm like, I cannot go any further. And I look up, and I see the, the rock kind of in the distance. I'm like, that looks like the peak. Oh, we can go up to that. And I climb. I'm like, okay, I'll just make it to there. And I make it to there, and I'm like, oh, I have to climb that to get to the peak. So I climbed up some more rocks, and I'm sitting on the edge, and I have a real great picture of the lake below him because the clouds had cleared for just a split second. And then I, I get up. I'm like, okay, time to go back. And I look to my left. I'm like, there's more up there. And eventually, I'm just, I'm exhausted. I'm like, I can't do it. Lord, just help me to get up this mountain. And it may seem petty, but if you're out there all, all, all on your lone hiking on, some weird thoughts cross your mind. I'm like, man, if I fall down this cliff, no one's ever going to find me. Like, Chase, I have no signal. Chase is about a mile behind. He has no idea where I went because I didn't even go on the trail to get up there. And if I just sit here and wait for someone to save me, it's not going to happen. So I'm just like, Lord, just, just keep me safe up here. I don't want to have someone call my mom and then, because that'd be worse than dying. <laughs> but you see, Life is like that sometimes. You're climbing this mountain, and it's fog all around, and you can't see a thing, and you're looking, and you say, man, I don't know what to do, but you just got to keep pressing forward. And we'll talk about this a little bit more in the message, but you just got to keep going forward. You got to look to that next checkpoint and say, man, I can make it to there, but you can't make it to there. You can only make it there with the Lord's help. And that's what I want to talk to you today. So, Jehoshaphat, we see him here, and he's praying to the Lord, and he uh, gets us, and let me um, I asked you a question at the start of this. Let me go through and read a little bit more. You won't have to stand for this one. But I asked you a question. I don't know if you, any, if you guys forgot it already. But why did the Lord fight for Judah? Why did the Lord fight for Judah? Let's start in verse 14. 
Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jerusalem. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Can I, can I say that again? You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O, o, Jerusalem, o Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And then verse 20, and this is where the fighting comes in, if you want to call it fighting. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. Wait, hold on. The praise of beautiful holiness as they went out before the army? Hold on. As they went out before the army? I don't know about you. I'm no uh, Patton, but if I'm setting up an army to go fight some people, I'm not putting the singers in the front. What are you going to do? Harp them to death? What, did, what is the point of this? But the rest of the verse says, And to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, and to praise, excuse me, comma, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were what? What were they? Dead bodies. Fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, and they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away, and they were three days, three days in the gathering of the spoil. It was so much. And then skip down to verse 29. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. Why did God fight for Judah? Okay, so we see Jehoshaphat. He's the leader of this group. Uh, he's the king at this time. What can we find out about him so we can answer this question, why did God fight for Judah? Jehoshaphat, he was the uh, fourth king of divided Israel. It was Solomon, Kingdom splits under Rehoboam. Rehoboam, uh, Ahaziah, I believe it was, and then um, uh, his father, Asa. They continually, God continually started to bless the nation of Judah after the um, apostasy of Rehoboam. They um, continued to grow in power and strength and riches. Um, Rehoboam and uh, his son, uh, I think it was Ahaziah, um, were... Uh, were evil kings, the Chronicles list, but um, Ahaziah was only three years in reigning. And God blessed each of these kingdoms. But let's see, okay, so what about Jehoshaphat's parents? What raised, who raised him and what 
gave him the, what got him to the point, is what I'm trying to get at, what got him to the point where he's praying to God and saying that oh, we have no strength against this mighty army. We have no, we, our eyes are upon thee and not upon ourselves. Because I tell you what, Jehoshaphat wasn't always like that. There were points in his life where he was definitely not looking to the Lord for his strength. So we see his father, Asa. Jehoshaphat was born in the sixth year of his reign, and he's growing up, and, and whenever he turns nine, a great army comes out of Ethiopia to invade Judah. The Ethiopian army comes against them, and Asa prays to the Lord, and he delivers them. This was actually the largest battle recorded in the Bible. It was, uh, the Ethiopians had over a million men in it, and uh, Hezekiah had over 800,000. And God delivered them from that. Nine year, I don't know if you're a nine-year-old boy, but whenever someone says a million people, you just think of infinite numbers of people. And it, I bet Jehoshaphat's sitting there is like, you guys took out a million guys? Wow! A million people. So Jehoshaphat would have seen the faith of his father. And for 41 years, Asa reigned. But you see, in about the uh, 30th, 35th year of his reign, another enemy comes against him. Basha, king of Israel. Basha, king of Israel, comes against him, builds a city on his border, and instead of trusting the Lord, Asa says, hey, uh, Syria, you guys, you want some gold? You can take out Israel, and uh, we'll be okay down here. And I'll tell you what, it worked. The Israelites left Judah alone, and they were in peace for a time. But a prophet, and I, won't catch, I want you to catch this name, his name's Hanani. Hanani comes to Asa and he says, why did you do this? Why would you align yourself with Assyria? And because of this, the army of Assyria has escaped from your hands. And he rebukes him and Asa gets so mad and he says, why would you rebuke my power? This is my job to do this. I was able to do it. I kept the Israelites from attacking us. And Asa would not repent for his sin. He put Hanani in prison and it says he oppressed the people afterwards. Within a, a two or three years, he got a disease, a disease in the foot, the Bible says. And he, the Bible says that he sought to the physicians and not to the Lord. He sought to the physicians and not to the Lord. And I think Jehoshaphat saw that because when his father died, um, within three years of his reign, he begins to um, create a revival in the country. And he brings the people and he sends people out to teach in the country. And as they're teaching and going throughout the nation, there's revival and people are repenting. But there's another part of Jehoshaphat's life that we need to talk about. It says later, um, I believe in 2 Kings, that he had affinity with Ahab. Affinity. Affinity implies a marriage. And it wasn't his marriage. Some commentators say he was married to a daughter of Ahab. But his son married Athaliah. And she was a very wicked, wicked person, but she was of the house of Ahab. She was of the house of Ahab. Jehoshaphat aligned himself with Israel four different times. He's rebuked, at least four different times, he's rebuked for aligning himself with Israel. He's rebuked um, whenever he um, goes against Ahab. Micaiah rebukes him and says, why are you going out with him? Um, you guys are going to be uh, destroyed and smitten at Ramoth Gilead. And then afterwards, he's rebuked again. And then he's rebuked for uh, making an alliance with um, uh, Ahaziah, a different Ahaziah. Um, he's rebuked for making ships with him. And then another time for going with Jehoram, king of Israel. 
And God was not happy with that. You see, I, I believe that Jehoshaphat, his entire reign, he struggled with his faith. He did not have the faith that God could deliver alone. I think he had faith that God would deliver. Because every time he went with one of the kings of Israel to battle, he said, hey, let's talk to a prophet of the Lord. See what he thinks about this. But he didn't think that God could do it alone. He wanted to align himself with Israel and create alliances because he was the first king of Judah to make peace with Israel. And it cost him dearly several times. And one instance I want to show you, he goes out to battle at Ramoth-Gilead. Ahab says, hey, I'm going to disguise myself. You go out to battle and I'll be over here kind of cowering in fear. And the army of Syria comes up against Jehoshaphat and he's in his chariot and he cries out to God. This is in chapter 19 here. He cries out to God and God delivers him. Afterwards, he comes back to Jerusalem and says he came back to Jerusalem in peace. And Jehu, Jehu, catch this name, the son of Hanani, comes out and he says, why would you love those that hate the Lord? Why would you make an alliance with those that God does not love, that they do not love God? Excuse me, God did love them, but they didn't love God. Why would you do that? Why would you make an alliance with them? And Jehoshaphat realizes his sin and he repents. It doesn't say specifically in the passage, but immediately after that verse, it says he sent men into Israel and he started a second revival. The second revival, he, they start going into the towns and villages of Judah and they are telling them, repent and turn back to the Lord. And they do that. And they're, they're judging Israel. And whenever that happens, they're, they're excited about it. God's causing them to prosper. And then chapter 20 happens. Chapter 20 happens. And it says, Jehoshaphat feared. He knew he couldn't rely on Israel because God had just rebuked him for that and he nearly died and nearly cost him his life. He could have relied on his troops. You see, he was the most powerful king of Judah, Israel, or the combined nations of any of them. It records his uh, military might. He had 1.2 million men under his command. 1.2 million men. He could have said, oh yeah, get the army in array. We're going to line up and we're going to fight them. But that's not what he did. That's not what he did. Verse 12. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do. You see, times in my life, I find that God chooses to chasten me about something more than once. He, he lets me learn my lesson, then he lets me learn my lesson, and he lets me learn my lesson again. And it seems painful at the time. But Jehoshaphat, he learned his lesson from his father. He learned the lesson from his own experience at Ramoth Gilead. Then he learned from Jehu, and you caught that name, son of Hanani. He didn't throw him into prison, so that's a good thing. And he's repenting, and he's turning to the Lord. And I don't know about you, but if I was in that case, I said, God, I already repented for this. Why are you doing this to me again? I already learned my lesson. You see, God was testing his faith. There are, um, there are trials that will come in our life, 
And there was a trial that was in his life that he could not handle. And he realized that and he turned to God instead. Instead of saying, okay, my men are going to fight this battle. Or I'm going to say to Israel, hey, come down and help me out. He said, God, our eyes are upon thee. You see, whenever I reach the top of the mountain on that hike, I get up to the top, and I had been praying the whole way, God, I just want to see Mount St. Helens. I traveled three hours, three hours down here. I want to see it. And I get to the top, and I have a panorama picture of it, and uh, there's clouds, 360 all the way around. Couldn't see a thing. Jehoshaphat's at that pinnacle, and he, he's doing what's right, and he's on that mountaintop, and he's close to the Lord, but things are still confusing. He doesn't know what's going on. He says, we didn't invade these people whenever we came into the land. God said, do not go into them and attack them. He ex- specifically told them to avoid them. And now see how they repay us? God, why are you doing this to us? I don't understand. But still, he had faith. He had faith that God would deliver them. He had faith that instead of trusting in himself to deliver, he trusted in God. This army, and I had a picture of it in the slide, it's incredible. Um, I just went through Google Maps and saw some pictures. There's a cliff right here, the Cliff of Ziz. Um, it's not called that anymore, but it's, just, it's a wilderness beforehand. And you're coming up, and then you see the Dead Sea in the wilderness, and it's just a plain as far as the eye can see. And I just imagine the people of Israel, they're singing and praising the Lord, and they're having faith that God's going to deliver them. They're walking through a desert, and they're singing. And they're going forward, and they come to the top of this hill, and behold, they are all dead bodies. Wow. This view, man, I wish I would have had that slide up just so I could show you the magnitude of this plane, seeing millions of people lying slain because God fought for them and not themselves. You may be at that point where you're climbing the mountain and you can't see a thing. Your bills may be stacking up. Uh, your marriage may be in jeopardy. Or you're out of a job or you're looking for a job and you're just like, man, how am I supposed to support my family with this? Um, got a couple college students here. We haven't got assignments just yet, but maybe you're looking at your course load and you're saying, man, how am I supposed to handle this? No matter your circumstances, no matter what you're going through, know that God is fighting your battles. Do not rely on your own strength to deliver you. We each have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who wants to comfort and guide us through our battles. As I climbed that mountain, I could not see what was ahead, and all I knew was that I had to reach the top. Several times when I would sit down to rest, I thought I would just turn around, but uh, God uh, gave me the strength to continue on. Once I reached the top, I, I was disappointed because I could not see anything. I knew Mount St. Helens was just past the clouds. I actually took a picture and I drew a mountain in it so I could pretend like I saw it. But you see, I had faith that the mountain was there even though I never saw it. As I traveled down the mountain and the fog began to lift, I could see the beauty of God's creation and some beautiful pictures that I took on that hike back down. Still never saw the mountain though. (laughs) Then I could see what I had believed was there before. When Jehoshaphat humbled himself and prayed, he had faith that God would deliver them. But he could not see it just then. 
As he climbed the proverbial mountain, he set the singers in front, trusting that God would keep his word. I asked you all a question at the start of this message. Why did God fight for Judah? God chose to fight for the armies of Judah because Jehoshaphat realized after the battle at Jabez-Gilead that man's strength is entirely deficient to stand in the day of battle apart from God's ability to deliver. So today I want you to realize that in order for you to have victory in your life like God gave Judah, you must realize that you have no strength in yourself and keep your eyes on God. Then he will deliver you according to his will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to preach your word today. I thank you for the burden that you give me for this passage. I pray that you would um, allow the people to um, understand and apply this to our own.